for us for planning purposes. John Ford's going to come at this time. John is uh, one of the several staff at Camp Barakal. He's technically a missionary. Is that fair to say, missionary, John? So camp staff, and he raises his support. And uh, we have been sending our kids to Camp Barakal for quite some time. Some of you give money that's designated towards helping our campers out. We um, ask the kids to just pay the registration fee if they're plugged into one of our programs, and we cover the rest of that here at Calvary. So folks that give money towards that, uh, plus those that bring their cans in, lots of folks bring in their uh, recycled cans to go towards that. So thank you for those of you who are consuming lots of carbonated beverages and bringing your cans and bottles in. We do appreciate that. But we counted a blessing to send our kids to a summer camp program. I was talking to my wife in the past couple weeks about camp and how much a difference it made to me. I can remember um, a tree that I sat next to after a particular sermon. And I know many of you have a similar story to that, that you've been blessed by Christian camp. And so we asked John to come and preach for us today, but we're thankful for the ministry of Camp uh, Barakal as well as John. Thank you, John. Thank you. It is good to be with you this morning, and uh, I bring you welcome from the land of melting snow, which, which we're all glad for. It, that's fine. But we did actually get more snow this past week, and, uh, but I actually have high hopes that by the time I get back there later today that it will be gone, and uh, maybe that will be the last trace of winter and uh, as we look towards spring. It, it hangs around up there uh, where we are a little longer than sometimes down here. I, I actually have seen green grass uh, a little bit down here, and we don't have any of that. Um, but uh, but it, it is good. And we, we uh, at, here at camp, we thank you for your interest in uh, the lives of your children and young people and adults as well as they get opportunities to come and be at Barakel. And uh, we hope that's an encouragement and a help uh, to them as individuals, to you as they are part of your family and extended family, and to this uh, body of Christ that resides right here. And uh, we hope all of those things are true. That's why Camp Barakel exists. We had a good winter, had a couple thousand people come through, and uh, now are in what we call uh, maintenance and planning season as we anticipate, we do anticipate spring, and uh, specifically spring events, and uh, then uh, big ministry of summer. And uh, so we do thank you for your thoughts, your prayers, as well as your eagerness, again, to see uh, people that you know uh, or care about uh, brought to a deeper knowledge of Christ as they spend time at camp. If you want to open your Bibles to Psalm 27, that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. And I hope it's a familiar psalm to you. There's always a danger in uh, kind of going to a familiar portion of Scripture, but I think that it's worth it, especially as we are here on the brink of this Easter season, and uh, so I wanted to look, and it's been a helpful thing for me as I've uh, thought about Psalm 27, and I, particularly the pastor, enjoyed this morning on my way here. I actually got to see the sunrise coming up on my way here, and uh, that's not a normal thing for me. I'm not typically a morning person, Uh, but had some hymns playing in the car, and seeing the sun coming up on my way here was just a beautiful time, and uh, enjoyed that uh, with the Lord this morning as we were... uh, making our way here. Paul Tripp says about the Psalms, and just by way of introduction about the Psalms, I think you're probably somewhat familiar with them, but I appreciated this quote uh, from Paul Tripp. They are unsettling and honest and messy, and that's what's beautiful about them. 
Psalms present to you a realistic faith, a faith that is deeper than any of the struggles you would ever face. That's what's hopeful about the Psalms. And uh, so this morning, again, I want to look at Psalm 27 for you. And I I don't know, you probably don't think in these ways, maybe some of you do, uh, and maybe you think about icebreakers and ways to get groups to interact and talk to each other. We do that kind of stuff at camp regularly. And and one of these days, I want to use this as an icebreaker. I want people to answer, if you could ask one thing of God, what would it be? I think that could be a very interesting icebreaker. If you could ask one thing of God, what would it be? And perhaps you'd inquire about why something in particular has taken place or why something happened. Maybe you'd ask God about why did he create such a creature as the platypus or why in the world, this is what my daughter would ask, why in the world did he make spiders? Or maybe you have more of a, probably more the way I tend to lean, a little bit more of a sarcastic bone in your body. And you'd say something like, well, whatever happened to all the other socks? that I know were put in the laundry, that, but just never seemed to reappear. Where's all the matching socks? Maybe you'd, maybe you'd ask that. I, I don't know. I'm sure you'd get all kinds of those kinds of answers if you asked. Or maybe if we turned it around uh, with that question and said, you know, perhaps what would you rather think about, what would you rather, if God was going to say to you, if God's, and let me, I can get this. I can get this sentence out. I, I, will, I will do my best. If God were to say to you, ask me one thing, what would it be? So instead of us asking God something now, God asking us, what would it be? Well, we know God did that with Solomon. And uh, Solomon asked for wisdom. He asked for a discerning heart. Well, here the psalmist in Psalm 27, which, which is a psalm of David, he basically says, give me yourself and that will be enough. That's what David says. To that question, God says, ask me one thing, what would it be? And David says, give me you, give me you. And so with that as a kind of a brief introduction, let me read for us Psalm 27. Again, I hope it's a familiar song too. And I think as I read it, uh, at least different parts of it, hopefully will ring a bell. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek? Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. 
Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the land. In the land of the living, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, again, we are grateful for your word this morning. We are grateful for the truths that it speaks of because it speaks of you, for the help that it can be, the encouragement, the light to our path, the hope in our sails. And Lord, I pray that you would come and, and as we have already prayed this morning, we pray that you would come and speak to us through your word. And uh, that is what we need. And so we ask for that. Give us a fresh glimpse of you, a new understanding, a new truth that will help us as we endeavor to walk this week living a life worthy of the death and sacrifice that you have done on our behalf and for our good and for your glory, we ask in your precious name. Amen. Well, again, Psalm 27. It's hard to know whether this is a psalm of confidence written against the dark background of David's many enemies, which we certainly had, or maybe more of a lament in which David cries for help against difficult foes. We, we don't really know the exact context of him writing this, but we can certainly tell that Psalm 27 is a psalm of trouble. Verse 2, right? Evil men advancing. Verse 3, an army is encamping against him and war is mentioned. Verse 5, the day of trouble. Verse 6, enemies who surround me. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 10, forsaken. Verse 11, he has enemies. Verse 12, adversaries, false witnesses, violence. All of those things are listed in numerous places. So you can definitely see that there is trouble in what David is talking about here. He's not unfamiliar with difficulty and uh, with those opposed to him and those trying to harm him and things not going the way he would want. He's not, a, he's not unfamiliar with that. It's not a, that's not a stranger for him. Yet in the midst of this trouble, and what I like here in Psalm 27, in the midst of this trouble, there's hope, there's salvation, there's God. By organ, organization, verses one through three can kind of be listed as the first section. It's a section filled with David stating his absolute confidence in God, and I hope you can see that. He says right off, the Lord is my light and my salvation, a declaration of truth. Whom shall I fear? It's a great uh, rhetorical question that he asks. And then it continues very similarly. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? This great confidence statements verse, in verses two and three. And David had experience with these things. If you know some of your history here, David had all kinds of experience from enemies attacking to friendly foes becoming enemies attacking to people in his own family, his own son trying to kill him. He had experience with all of those kinds of things. He knew what it was like. So where did David get his confidence? Because in the midst of all this trouble, we have these clear declarations of truths of his confidence because that's what I want to know. Because when I have difficulty, and I, I brought my son, one of my sons, and I can't, imagine, I can't imagine being in a place where he's trying to kill me. But that's something that David knew and all kinds of other difficulties. So where does David get this great confidence? Because I want to have confidence in the, when the bad news comes or when the hardships are there, or when things just don't go as well as I would have wanted, 
I want to have that confidence that he seems to have here in Psalm 27. And let me just give you three things. Uh, If you're a note taker, I got three main points this morning uh, from Psalm 27. Uh, And number one, uh, in terms of where does David's confidence come from? Where does it come from? One, it comes from his theology. It comes from his theology. He thought rightly about God. And that influenced him, as as I hope you're going to see. It influenced him. So jumping back again to verse 1, the first thing he says about the Lord is, He is my light. He expressed right away a personal connection, not just some abstract thing out there. He is my light. And maybe when we think about God or perhaps trying to visualize him, Maybe one of the best things the scripture gives us is the idea of light. Remembering that Paul teaches that God lives in unapproachable light. Light is a assuring thing. It gives us confidence. When you walk into a dark room, what, what do you do? You, you tend to go like this, right? You tend to want to flip that light switch because it gives you confidence for what's in the room and where to go and how to maneuver and gives you safety and security because you can see. And David here recognizes right away that God is my light. It's interesting, this is the only Old Testament text in which God is actually called light. In the New Testament, we have the light being the name for Christ. John 1, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. The true light that gives light to every man was coming to the world. God is light. In him there was no darkness at all from 1 John. So in the Gospel of John, light has to do with the understanding, which is applied to Jesus, is in him that we see or understand what God the Father is like. In the first letter of John, light has to do with God's purity or sinlessness because it is opposed to the darkness of sinful, sinful behavior. The psalmist here, David, affirming that even in the darkness of the terrible threat of war, he has no fear for God is the light that can dispel such darkness. Because that's what happens when you flip the light switch, right? When you turn on the flashlight. When in our house, when we lose power several times a year, that's what happens when you live up in the North Woods, and uh, it's easy to lose power, and we immediately go for the lanterns that we can light, and uh, because it dispels the darkness, it gives us where we can see. It's comforting, it's reassuring and clarity. And David, in his theology, understood that his confidence doesn't come from himself, it comes from the one who is light, and who gives light and has given Christ. And so the second thing he says right away, not just that the Lord is my light, but he says he is my salvation. And we won't spend all this time on each one of these or we're going to be in trouble. But the Hebrew word for salvation, again, just simply means deliverance. David realizes that it's God who delivers me. It's not my own ability. It's not my own strength. It's not my own mighty men. It's not my own army. It's God who delivers me. And he may use some of those means, but it's because of God and who God is. 
The next psalm expresses that same idea near the end of Psalm 28, verse 8. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. And it's hard to not immediately think of the next couple weeks when we make statements and read parts of scripture like that and think about Easter and his deliverance and our salvation. And David, even though he didn't know Christ, he looked forward to God's salvation and he trusted in God's deliverance. And he'd seen it in tangible ways in his own life. He rescued him from Goliath and from the lion and the bear and from Saul and other things that have come up in David's life. And David certainly is a military man. That's why God didn't want David to, that's why God didn't want David to build the temple because he was a military man and blood is on his hands. And so when he says in the next, in that second big clause here in, chapter, in verse one, the Lord is the stronghold of my life, you think of military images and they represent that safety and security behind a wall or behind a safe place where God protects you and holds you fast and keeps you secure. See, David's theology is right. In the midst of trouble, his theology is right. He understands that it's about God. And who else am I supposed to trust in? What else is there? And so that's, that's, you get the questions. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Who else is there to fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Right? Do you see it? <laughs> These three images of God have, probably have to do, in some sense, with military deliverance and protection, but they also definitely suggest these greater meanings to us. Light speaks of spiritual understanding. Salvation points to the greatest of deliverance. Deliverance from sin by the death of Jesus. Stronghold refers to that spiritual refuge from the pains and the difficulties of life, life with which God himself is for his people. The Lord is my light to guide me, my salvation to deliver me, and the stronghold of my life in whom I take refuge. And so when you and I are in trouble, how do we respond? Does our theology kick in? Does the correct thoughts speak to our heart to remind us of truth? I pray that that would be true. I'm thankful for David's example here because you see it in verse one and that implies then, that leads right naturally into verses two and three. And verse two, when evil doers assail me to eat of my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Why? Because his confidence is in God. What a picture, by the way, of Christ. <laughs> as uh, verse two, as Christ went to the cross, evildoers to assail him. Death and sin stumbled and fell and died. And verse three again, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear the war rise against me, yet I will be confident. Because his eyes are on more than just what is directly in front of him. His eyes are on more than just the difficulty, the army, the hardship, the disappointment. So first we have David's theology. Secondly, we have his aim. So how does, where does David get all this confidence in the, li in the difficult life, difficulty to do the right thing and to trust in God, his theology? Secondly, his aim. We just sang a few minutes ago, knowing you, 
no greater thing. Is that my aim? Is that your aim? It was David's aim that we will see here in starting in verse 4. Here we see his great desire, and it's to dwell in the house of the Lord. He has these phrases, one thing I've asked that I seek after to dwell in the house of the Lord, in the temple, in his dwelling, in his tabernacle. And you see he uses different phrases here to refer to that. Now let me get you a picture here. He's not referring, by the way, to some beautiful architectural building that naturally draws your eyes upward and has beautiful windows, right, and beautiful decorations. There is no temple yet. It hasn't been built. His son is going to eventually do that. David's talking about a tent here. It's not the beauty of the tent that David wants. It's God himself that David wants. It's not the mosaics or the windows or even the services necessarily. It's, that's where God has said, come here and meet me. And that's what David wants. That's why he, he's not, this is not a wish for David to maybe stop being king and now to become priest. No, David wants to know and meet and be with God because he sees him in his beauty. It's as he goes to the tabernacle, he sees the beauty of God. That's what brought him there because it was the Lord he was seeking. And what a great barometer for our, for our and my own relationship with God. What one thing do I seek? What one thing am I after? Especially in the midst of a difficult day or difficult hardship. Do I seek after Christ? Do I seek to be with him and to know him and to dwell in him? David, for all his faults, and David was certainly not a perfect man. Yes, Scripture says he was a man after God's own hearts, but we also know that David had his own struggles. He was certainly not perfect. But in the midst of that, and maybe part of why he was called a man after God's own heart is because his instinct is to seek the Lord's face, to seek his blessing, to seek the presence of God. So why does David go to the house of the Lord? Because he knows there he will see God. He anticipates there that God will make himself known. He wants to hear from God. He wants to see and experience the deliverance of God. So he says, let me gather around God's people and let's open God's word and have that declared to me and there I will see God. As the, for his setting, as the sacrifices are made, we see a picture of God's deliverance and God's help. And so David wanted to go. And it is there. It is there as we worship God as he reveals himself to us through this means now, it is there we know forgiveness because we see his sacrifice. Verse six, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. Peace is there. We see safety talked about in verse five. Hope is there as well. He will lift me high upon a rock and deliver me. We have hope in verse five. As we spend time with God, as he reveals himself to us, as we get to know him better. Joy as well. Sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord in verse six. All of those things come as part of one thing I ask, one thing I desire, to know God 
to spend time with him, to be in his presence, in his sanctuary. I like the phrase at the beginning of verse 6. And maybe because I'm a parent of seven children and I coach several different sports up there in the Fairview area. Verse 6, And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And maybe you can picture a team after a difficult defeat. Maybe if you're a basketball fan, maybe you were rooting for South Carolina or Oregon last night. And, uh, or whatever. But maybe you can picture that. Or, or even one of your children after they know they've messed up or something hasn't gone well. And, and what's, the, what's their body language like? Can you picture that? Head is down. Shoulders are drooping a little bit, right? Can you picture that? Verse 6, as he spends time with God, as he sees God, as God reveals himself to us, and now my head shall be lifted up. In the midst of the difficulty, the, the loss, the things not going the way you wanted, God comes and says, no, no, no. Know me, and I will lift up your head. I will give you eyes to see and confidence again and a trust and assurance that, yeah, it was hard, but I'm with you. I'm with you. And I love to be able to take my players, even after they've lost, and say, hey, hey, head up. You played hard. You played your best. It's okay. They were better than you. No big deal. You did well. Be confident. Be assured. And I'm grateful that God often does that for us. He lifts our head. And when you know God is smiling at you, you can be relatively indifferent to the frowns of men. Did you hear that? When you know God is smiling at you, and he lifts your head and you look up and see his smiling face, then it doesn't matter so much what's going on around you anymore. Picture yourself with a young child I had a young man this morning who's one. He told me that a couple times. And what did he do? He smiled at me. Do you know what I do when a one-year-old smiles at me? I can guarantee it's the same thing you do when a one-year-old smiles at you. What do you do? You smile back. It puts a smile on your face. Well, imagine in the midst of the difficulty here that David knows God lifts his head, and what does he lift and see? He sees God's smiling face. And for us, through the person and work of Christ, we see the smiling face of God because we are forgiven because of Christ. And what should that do naturally? It should put a smile on our face. As the things of life then go, as the, as the hymn would say, strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. God's great smile. So his theology was right. His aim is right, David's. And lastly, his practice is correct. How do we get this confidence to follow hard after Christ in the midst of these difficult days? Part of it is regular practice. And David here mentions some things. So in verses 7 through 14, and some have called this section, by the way, a completely different section. It's, it, it has the appearance of a prayer the mood changes, one through six, continue these great declarations of, of confidence and truth. Verse seven starts with this entreaty, asking God now something. And what does he ask for? So one, his practice is, David's practice is prayer. He prays. 
And so he asked for things, by the way, that all of us want of God. He asked for things that children all ask of their parents, though they may not use these words. And the first thing he asks for here is acceptance. In verse 8, in verse 9, in verse 10, in verse 12, he asked God to accept him. Don't hide from him. Don't run away. Don't be angry at him. Accept him. Don't, don't reject him. Accept him. Secondly, he asks, and yes, I'm moving quickly. Secondly, he asks to be heard. In verse 7, right? Hear, O Lord, when I cry out loud. Sometimes kids or other people, they just simply want to be heard. Sometimes God hears. God listens. And that's a wonderful, wonderful truth and reminder for us. He seeks guidance from God in his prayer. Verse 11, teach me your way. Show me what I'm supposed to do. Remind me of these things. And he seeks protection, verse 12. Give me not up. Stay with me. Don't let these things win. He seeks So he's, in his prayer, he sought acceptance to be heard, to seek guidance, and to seek protection. And does David have all of these things in God? Absolutely he does. Absolutely he does, and he knows that. And so do we because of Christ. Because of what Christ has done for us, we are accepted because he paid the penalty for our sin. Because he now sits by the Father interceding for us. We are heard and he hears. And he has given us his word and the Holy Spirit to give us guidance and to protect us. We have all of those wonderful things because of Christ. But verses, verse 14, verse 13 and 14, just because it's the end, we can't pass over it too quickly. Scripture does not want to minimize our problems, nor does it tell us there will be none. Instead, it tells them to face them as they are. As Psalms, again, the most honest book maybe in scripture relative to our own experiences and the things he's been praying for and that which we pray for do not always come to us at once so david again expresses this great hope i believe that i shall look upon the goodness of the lord in the land of the living i believe that god is going to help me in this but verse 14 there's another truth and acknowledgement here that express what David knows and has experienced. Wait for it. Wait for it. Because God's timing is not always my timing or your timing, right? You know that. Wait for it. Be strong and wait. We have a phrase that we use sometime around camp especially in these kinds of things. And right now we are uh, desperately, de desperately is too strong of a word, we are urgently praying right now for a chief health officer for camp. We cannot run summer camp without chief health officer. The state of Michigan tells us that. And uh, we currently do not have one. And uh, so are currently praying hard about that. And waiting on the Lord for it. But we often say these, this phrase around camp, work, and pray. Sometimes we reverse it. Pray and work. 
In other words, do the things that God has put in front of you to do. But don't neg neglect prayer in that. Prayer is as important and maybe more important than the actual work. But don't just pray. Work as well. Do those things. So I like verse 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Do what's in front of you. But wait for the Lord. We don't, and I don't, wait well. We want instant, now. But God does not work on our demands or our timetable. He is sovereign, and he is in control, and he is our light and our salvation and the stronghold. You want to have the confidence of David this Easter season? Work on what you think about God and who he is. Who is God? What is that truth that you hold on to and cling to? And hold on to that. What is your aim in the midst of that? Is it just to make it, just to get through? Or is it to know God more? And what is your practice? Do you take these things before God? More than just, ah, I'm in trouble, and pray. Do you regularly go and ask God for his acceptance and grateful to the Lord for his acceptance and knowing that he hears and listens and wants to hear those things and that he, he provides and that he protects? Psalm 27, again, I hope is not an unfamiliar psalm to you, and if it was, I hope it will never be again because it is a great psalm. Heavenly Father, we thank you. I thank you for the example of David and the psalm of how we can trust in you and know you. And Lord, I pray you'd give us a heart this Easter season to want to know you better for your glory's sake because you are worth it, the beauty of who you are. And we have not even scratched the surface of that this morning. But may you give us eyes to see and a heart's desire to know, we ask in your precious name. Amen.